Matthew chapter 16. Hallelujah. Starting with verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist and some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. <coughs> and he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, Simon Peter answered and said, You Simon Barjona, for of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In this passage, <coughs> Jesus reveals his purpose for coming to this earth. Uh, I know that a lot of times we like to believe that Jesus came and most of us would have the good spiritual answer that he came to die on the cross for our sins and uh, give us access to heaven. Uh, but I want you to know today there's a little more to it than that. Um, those are wonderful byproducts. Those are wonderful uh, uh, things that took place through his crucifixion and through his resurrection. But I want you to know today that Jesus came to restore what was lost. I said he came to restore what was lost. I've used this example before, but if this Bible falls to the ground, if it's sitting on this podium and falls to the ground and I take it and I set it over here, have I restored the Bible? The answer is no, just in case you were kind of tricked by that one. The answer is no. The the, the decision to restore something means you place it back where it originally was. To put back in its original place. To put back where it began. Not to reassign it. Not to give it a, a, another definition. Not to place it in another location. But to put it back where it was before it was lost. And before man was lost in the garden... Man had authority and was able to rule and have dominion on this earth. That was his assignment. God said in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. So God first gave man identity. You'll be made in my image. And then he gave him an assignment. You see, this world wants to get that twisted, and some of us have lost our way uh, in this life because we have tried to allow our assignment to determine our identity. But I'm here to tell you today that you are not identified by your assignment. You are identified by your Creator. He is God, and you are a able to rule in your assignment because of the identity given to you. And when we get that flip-flopped, we allow what we do to determine who we are. But God created us to know what to do based upon who he created us to be. Amen. 
Adam and Eve lost this dominion. How? By handing over their authority. The devil did not steal it. The devil did not come in uh, unannounced and take it. Adam and Eve put their authority and their dominion on a silver platter, their rulership over the earth, and handed it over to the enemy when they disobeyed their God. Because your uh, level of authority will never exceed your level of submission. And some of us in this room are struggling in this life because you don't have a level of submission to authority. And you're wondering why nothing listens to you. Nothing will respond to you when you don't respond to your creator. So we've got to get these things back in their order. We've got to get them back in priority. And so Adam and Eve lost dominion on earth. They didn't lose heaven because they weren't in heaven. So if we say that Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins so we could go to heaven, then we would be reassigning. We would not be restoring. Did you hear me? God does not have a plan B. (laughs) He's got plan A. His plan was that man would rule on the earth as God rules in heaven. And the earth would be an extension of heaven and man would be an extension of God. And and we would have to submit to the Father. But um, the final authority lies with you and I. Every time God wanted to do something in the earth, he had to find what? A man. A man. He, he, he never operated in the word of God without using man, without using. He didn't just pop down here and just do all kinds of crazy stuff without finding someone submitted to his will in his way. Got to find a Noah to build me an ark. Got to find a Moses to deliver my people out of Egypt. Got to find an Abraham to give birth to a son that will become a nation. And then... He ended up with a great dilemma. The very thing that God hated resides in the very thing that God loves. How do we get sin out of man? How do we get sin out of man? Well, there's an issue because God is the only one that can restore man. But according to his word, let them have dominion. He's the only one that can't restore man. Are you hearing me today? I'm trying to help you understand that you play a role. What I want you to understand is the resurrected king has to resurrect you. It can't stop with Jesus. Thank God for his resurrection. But if I'm not resurrected to my purpose and I'm not resurrected to his will and I'm not resurrected to his plan, then what's it for? What's it for? I want you to know today that there is a resurrection still taking place. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came out of a tomb, resurrected. But there's death in our lives that needs to be resurrected. So God's trying to get back what Adam lost. And so this passage, Jesus makes some very profound statements. He says that the gates of hell will not prevail against what? The church. That's you and I. It's not just anybody. It's the church of the living God. He says the gates of hell will not prevail. And then he does something very interesting. Verse 19. And I will give you the keys 
of the kingdom. I will give you keys. Keys denote authority. When you have the key to something, you have been authorized to access it. You have been authorized to liberate it. You have been, uh, you have the keys. He's handing the church authority again. Why? Because that's what man lost. He doesn't say, I will give you the opportunity to go to heaven when you die, although we know that's what will happen. He says, I'm going to give you keys to the kingdom of heaven. And then he says this, and whatever I bind on earth, you will bind in heaven. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says. It says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Notice here that heaven is responding to you. I said heaven is responding to you. Why? Because he's giving you those keys. He's giving you that authority back in the earth once again. Now, I'm not trying to make this super spiritual, but you all have keys that you have access to. You all have authority to something that you're trying to access, and he's placed the key in your hand. He's placed the key in your care. Many times we find ourselves praying and asking God to do stuff for us that he's wanting to do through us. Oh, did you hear me? I said, God, we're praying for God to do stuff for us, and we need to be saying, God, what do you want to do through us? What do you want to do with me, not just for me? I want to be a part of the process, and you want me to be a, you've given me the keys. So whatever I bind, you'll bind, and whatever I loose, you'll loose. Because you haven't reassigned me, you've restored me. What I, what I like about this passage, for me, Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, is Genesis 1, all over again. It's, re, it's, it's, restora, it's restoration. It's the whole reason why the resurrection even took place. And, and, and we've missed this. We, we've made an Easter holiday out of it. We've given it a whole nother name. And we celebrate it in, in so many different ways. And I'm not mocking or knocking any Easter tradition that you may celebrate with your family. Easter eggs and bunnies and all the other stuff. That's great. But do not let it, do not let it allow, do not allow it to take away from the real reason why we celebrate this day. And see, what happens is the enemy wants to distract. He wants you to pull away from the real value of something. Because when we don't understand the true power of the resurrection, we won't walk in everything that Jesus made available through us, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I'm not going to see it work in my life. For some of us, you, you may have been going to church for a very long time and hearing this for the first 
time that the resurrection is God giving you an assignment, restoring your life back to a position of authority, that you don't have to live this life dictated by the world and dictated by CNN and dictated by everyone around you and dictated by the people that hurt you and dictated by the jobs you lost and dictated by the money you lost. You don't have to live under that oppression any longer. You're in charge. You're in authority. Take hold of your authority. In Jesus Christ. This was the end goal. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that Jesus took on the cross and took on suffering, endured affliction. But it says, for the joy that was set before him. This is what he saw. He saw a church. He saw a remnant. He saw a people that would value the cross and value his resurrection and value the authority that God's given them and walk in that every day. And once again, rule on this earth just as he intended in Genesis chapter 1. That was the joy set before him. You keep on going here in this passage and in verse 21, this is interesting. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. He's now beginning to talk to his disciples. He just gave them the what, and now he's giving them the how. He just, or I'm sorry, he gave them the why. This is why I'm going to the cross. This is why I'm going to suffer many things. This is why my life will not be taken, but I will lay down my life. This is why. And now he's given the how it's going to take place. And Peter, the same guy, same guy that just announced that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, the same guy that just heard from the spirit of God. Look what he has to say. Verse 22. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You don't want to rebuke Jesus. Okay, let's just let's learn from let's learn from Peter here. You don't want to rebuke Jesus. Then Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him saying, "Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you." And Jesus wasn't talking about what would happen to him. Jesus was, going, was talking about what was going to happen through him. And this is what the enemy wants to do. Is he wants to distract your why by showing you your how. That's what he does. Could it be that destiny comes through difficulty? Could it be that purpose comes through pressure? Could it be that we don't experience resurrection until we have first experienced death? This is good. This is really good. If I do say so myself. We get all excited about the purpose. And we get all excited about the plan. 
We get all excited about the end goal. I've just been setting you up for the last two or three weeks. If you've been in our services, some stuff is starting to sound familiar. Because a few weeks ago, we talked about the treasure in the field. We talked about being buried alive. And we talked about that the dirt that's covering the treasure is actually adding value to the treasure. Because if the, if the treasure's sitting on the dirt, you won't value it. But all the digging just makes you want it even that much more. And all the digging just shows how much more you want it. The dirt adds value. The man went and sold all that he had and bought the whole field, not just the treasure. Amen. I've just been setting you up. Because we don't experience resurrection without something dying first. And we respond like Peter. And we see the plan of God and we have these big smile on our face. Yes, that's what I want. Yes, God. And then he shows us the difficulty that's going to take us to our destiny. And then we start rejecting and we start rebuking and we start pushing back and we start saying, oh, no, God, it must not be through that person. And oh, no, it must not be with that job. It must be a different job. And, 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 and how am I supposed to do this with the little bit that I have? And we start coming up with all the reasons why we can't achieve the purpose of God with this plan. But you have to accomplish God's will, God's way. And Peter just heard the plan of God. He just heard the very reason why Jesus came to I came to give you the keys. I'm giving you keys, Peter. I'm going to build my foundation, my foundation is going to be built on the rock of my word. The word that you just gave, the revealed word of God. I'm going to build my church on that, fa- on that, on that foundation. And the gates of hell will not prevent. Man, I mean, that's, that's shouting, jumping. Let's run around. Let's, you know, high five our neighbors, slap somebody on the back. Let's get excited. And then he starts talking about how it's going to come to pass. And we start sinking down in our seats. He starts revealing to us how he's going to accomplish the plan. And we start pushing back. You know, this is a tough message to preach in 2018. Because we live in a culture that values comfort way too much. I just rented a vehicle and this thing has heated seats, cooling seats. I mean, it, it, it can, you can move this seat into any position you want, whatever you, and I was just thinking as I was driving this thing, because my truck doesn't do all that, this truck does, and, and, and I was just thinking, man, when they first made vehicles, I bet they had none of this stuff. I bet it was a chair and a steering wheel and a gas and a brake. And, and, and we keep adding. And I'm not, I mean, I'm sure many of you have cool, uh, you know, vehicles with all that cool stuff. Great. That's awesome. But when we value comfort so much, we, we tend to, we miss our purpose for comfort. And Jesus is saying, here's authority. Here's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Here's keys to the kingdom of heaven. You bind, you lose, heaven binds, heaven loose. But it's going to come through pain. And it's going to come through difficulty. It's going to come through my death. And I, I just wonder what in our life 
Not that we're expecting God to resurrect. I wonder what we're not willing to kill so that we can see resurrection take place. Yeah, I just took a big shift because we want the resurrection without the death. We want him to restore our marriage without us putting down our pride and asking for forgiveness. Hello? We want God, we, 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 we want our kids and we cry out about our kids finding God and serving God, but yet we're not willing to show them the way. We're not willing to change the channel. We're not willing to turn off certain movies. We're not willing to make certain cuts in our life, not just for me, but because there's another child and another generation that's feeding off of what I do. And what I do is getting, it, it, they're watching that. What are we unwilling to kill so that we can see resurrection take place? What are we unwilling? And this was so cool. This was so cool. The Bible says that uh, Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down. And I was thinking about that. They didn't take Jesus' life. He laid it down. He wasn't going to go until he was ready to go. And then I also saw this in the garden. We saw this last week. He's sweating drops of blood. Agonizing over the torture and the pain and the pressure that's getting ready to come his way. And he makes, these, makes this statement. The only time... The only time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John we see Jesus in conflict with a decision. The only time we see Jesus struggle to do the Lord's will. Over in John chapter 5 and John chapter 6 and John chapter 7, he says things like, I don't do things on my own initiative, but I only do what the Father tells me to do. And I don't go where I want to go. I go where the Father tells me to go. And I don't do or say what I want to say, I say what the Father tells me to say. This, these were his words. But now all of a sudden we see a Jesus that is broken. The, the Bible told us that we saw it there in Matthew chapter 26, that he was sorrowful. His soul was deeply sorrowful. Distress was the word. And we said this last week, that your distress does not have to dictate your decisions. Because even in a moment of great distress, he was still able to operate with a clear mindset and said, not my will, but your will be done. And he said, I, they don't take my, wife, my, my life, I lay it down. And I thought about this. God doesn't take our life. We have to lay it down. It's the same for you and I. He will not take your life. He will not force you to serve his purpose. And he will not force you to live out his plan. And he will not come down and say, you do this or else. I heard someone just this past week talking about how God disciplines and how, and, and, and talking about, you know, we need to, we need to obey God out of fear of what he will do if we don't. That's a sad way to live. That the only motivation that I have for obedience and adherence to God's word is the lightning bolt that might come through the sky and get me. You want your kids to obey you that way? Of course not. Why would God want us to obey him that way? No, your love, you, you, you obey because he loves you. 
and you obey because you love him. And you obey because you know that his plan is far greater than your plan. It's motivated by love, not motivated by fear. Because fear is a very terrible motivator. Eventually, it will no longer motivate. And there will have to be more drastic measures taken to put you into a greater fear. That's not how my God operates. He's not going to take my life. I have to lay it down. And this is the key. What I do not lay down, he cannot raise up. What you refuse to lay down, he cannot raise up. You've got to lay it down. Put it down. The Bible, through the Old Testament, many times showed altars being built. There was one time that God asked of Abraham, build me an altar and sacrifice your son on that altar. Be willing to lay him down. Something so precious, something so valuable, something that I gave you, something that I promised you. And for 25 long years, you stood in faith unwavering. In hope against hope, Romans chapter 4 tells us. Believing for the Son. And now you're asking me to lay him down on the altar. Now you're asking me to sacrifice. Now we know the story. They get to the top of the mountain. And there's no sacrifice needed because God has already provided. But God was testing his heart. And God was seeing if he would even give up the thing that he deemed so valuable, if he would give up the, even the thing that God had blessed him with. Some of us are bound by the things, the very things that God has blessed us with, and he's saying, will you lay it down? Will you put it down? Because if you won't lay it down, I can't raise it up. If Jesus in that garden would have said, my will, not yours. Well, we wouldn't be here today. Not celebrating what we're doing today. All off of one decision. All the miracles, all the signs, all the wonders, all the teaching, all the great things we have about the man Jesus, all summed up in one decision. Do I put it down or do I take it up? And he recognized, unless I lay my life down, he can't raise it up. It's a very simple message today. Very simple message today. That God is not done resurrecting things. He's in the resurrection business. I don't know where you have experienced death, and I don't know where you have experienced suffer. Uh, suffering and pain and pressure. Worship team, if you would come. I don't know where you have experienced loss, but I want you to know that my God is a resurrecting God. I want you to know that we serve a king that has firsthand experience 
at what resurrection power can do. And then he goes on to say, and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. I want you to know today that resurrection power is available to you. Resurrection power is in your hand. It is in your life. It is in you by the spirit of God. And there is a resurrection that God wants to perform. There's a plan that he has for your life. There's a destiny that he has. But will you lay it down? Will you lay it down? It's a simple decision, but yet so complex. What we lay down, he can raise up. If we would lay down our will. I just want you to begin to search inside you, seek inside you. What is it that I've been holding on to? What is it that I've been expecting God to resurrect, bring back to life that I haven't even put to death? How can we ask God to bring life back to something that we haven't even killed. Put on the altar. Put on the cross. You know, Paul said this. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. What's that mean? His crucifixion wasn't the last one. And then Paul said over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that all things become new. Old things are gone. What's he saying? The same God that resurrected Jesus wants to resurrect me. Wants to bring new life to me. And I'm telling you right now that unless you're willing to crucify it, Unless you're willing to lay it down. And and when he's saying the word crucifixion, by the way, he's saying it to people that know firsthand what crucifixion looks like. That's a strong word to be putting in a letter to Romans. Think about it. The book of Romans. Rome where they created crucifixion. Where they created this horrible torture system. And they wouldn't, they weren't satisfied with death. It was an agonizing, slow, painful death that had more to do than what was in your hands and in your feet. It had to do with what was going on in your lungs because you can't breathe when you're hanging like that with no support. It's called asphyxiation. And the lungs are traumatized slowly. And Paul uses this word to say, you need to crucify your flesh. 
You need to put to death the things that your flesh desires and that your will desires and that your your ideas and your agendas and your plans. And you need to take his. And if you will lay it down, he can raise it back up. Jesus came back and he said, you can see the holes in my hand. You can see the holes in my, you can see the opening in my side. The scar is still visible. But yet he's got new life. New life. Never to die again. As we read earlier, if if the resurrection never happened, if Jesus never came back to life, then what is this all about? Have you ever just stopped to think that? Have you ever just thought, what is this all about? It's about a resurrection. The scars are still there. Evidence of the death. Evidence of putting things away. Evidence of, of getting rid of things in your life. But you have been raised to life in Christ. He's brought you back to life. I'll say this today, it all begins with one decision. And if you haven't made that decision, you need to make the decision to be crucified with Christ. The decision to make him Lord. The decision to become, as Paul, or as Jesus called it, born again. If that's you today, no decision comes before making Jesus the Lord of your life. And what does that mean? That means putting down my life so I can take up his. Oh, his life is way better. His life is far better. Do I have anybody that can testify that his life is better? Your life was lost. Your life was broken. Your life was destructive. But look at the life of Christ. 